0: Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC's orthopedics team, offering hip, knee, joint, spine, and back treatments. Learn more at UPMC.com CentralPAOrtho. Welcome to The Spark, I'm Scott Lamar. History was made in Pennsylvania this week as Joanne McClinton became the first woman and first woman of color to be elected as Speaker of the House of Representatives. There actually was some movement in the House this week after a couple months of inaction. WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief Sam Dunklaw is with us today with more. Sam, welcome back to the program.
1: Thanks for having me, Scott. All
0: right, so let's talk about that history first, Joanne McClinton becoming the first woman and the first woman of color to be elected Speaker. How significant is this?
1: I mean, hugely significant. Um, uh, Representative Joanna McClinton uh, having moved up in the state legislature steadily since her election in 2015. And now, after some 250 years of the Pennsylvania legislature's existence, becoming not only the first woman, but also the first woman of color to hold uh, the speaker's gavel. And this was a move that uh, political watchers... Predicted what happened for months, Um, you know, taking us back a little bit. And and some of the Capitol watchers that I've spoken to this week have reminded me of this. Uh, Speaker McClinton was on uh, the five-member panel that helped draw the state's new political boundaries last year. Um, you know, that was a whole thing that was going on last year. She was an instrumental part of helping to shape those districts to help, uh, as uh, supporters of them, say, make them more equitable. Uh, and uh, what ultimately happened is more Democrats were uh, elected uh, into some of these districts because some of these districts that had been a favor towards Republicans were now more competitive. So those candidates had a chance to... Um, uh, to compete. So that is a large reason why we have now this very, very narrow partisan split in the House, and uh, the Democratic uh, Party, the House Democratic Caucus, seems to have rewarded McClinton with that, with uh, getting behind her for uh, the speakership. Uh, So now she's ready to hold the gavel and and proceed with business.
0: By the way, I just want to pass along that uh, we will be speaking with uh, Speaker McClinton on The Spark uh, on our program on Monday, so tune in for that. Uh, Any idea what kind of speaker she will be?
1: I've asked around about this. Now, I've, I've I've been watching, um, uh, you know, then Representative McClinton uh, when she was the House Minority Leader, um, and she seemed to do a very good job uh, coalescing her uh, caucus uh, with its varying uh, interests, with its varying priorities, into one cohesive body. Now, that's easy to do when you're in the minority. When you're in the majority, it's it's another, you know, a whole other ballgame. You get to set the agenda. Um a lot of people have told me over the years when you're in the majority, a lot of people want to drive the bus. So it will be her job uh, as as speaker to set the agenda for the body, but then to also work with the now majority leader, Matt Bradford, to uh, figure out what her caucuses priorities are going to be. Um, a lot of people that I've spoken to have said that uh, Speaker McClinton is one uh, who is fair, uh, who listens to varying uh, priorities and has the ability to be able to juggle them so that each of them feel important. And that's an important quality of leadership. You also heard in her uh, in her uh, victory speech this week uh, that she would be one that would keep bipartisan um, cooperation, bipartisan negotiation in mind, uh, something that she wants to have as a forefront to To business in the house. Now we've heard that before from other speakers. So uh, time is really going to tell in terms of whether that is going to actually happen when the rubber hits the road.
0: Yeah, that was something I was going to ask you about because uh, I don't know. It seems to be a trendy thing nowadays that uh, we we have people elected to say that they're uh, you know they'll reach across the aisle, but then when it comes time for action respective parties kind of go to uh, back to what they were you know their priorities before and there doesn't seem to be as much bipartisanship um, so you know what are the priorities with uh, joanne McClinton as the speaker what are the party excuse me the priorities of the democratic party
1: well, those haven't been clearly articulated just yet. Um, we were really hoping to get some time with uh, Speaker McClinton after her uh, election to ask her about some of those priorities. But we've heard sort of about them uh, from the fringes. I mean, for instance, uh, the the Women's Health Caucus debuted their agenda uh, at the Capitol this past week. And that's a coalition of a wide variety of Democratic lawmakers in the House and Senate. Uh, some rank and filers, some folks that have been around for a long time. And, you know, they want some of the things that you might expect. Uh, better maternal care. Uh, bills that help decrease uh, maternal mortality, especially among uh, populations of color. They also want things like a higher minimum wage. Um, I've heard also some Democrats are really trying to push, uh, uh, you know, improving uh, testing of lead in the state's various water systems. Uh, so you you hear some things. So far, I've heard some things that Democrats have, uh, have supported for a long time, but have had a hard time getting through a Republican supported or a Republican rather um, a lead legislature, and also some things that have had uh, bipartisan support in the past, like raising the minimum uh, the minimum wage.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been some bipartisan support for that, not exactly to $15 an hour, right. as most Democrats would like, but uh, there has been some bipartisan support for that. So uh, let's move on then, because you, it's a good segue. You were talking about uh, uh, the way legislation makes it through the House. Finally, there was some action taken in the House. Once uh, there were three special elections, three Democrats were seated. Democrats have a one vote majority in the state House. so. Tell us about those rules and how they're different.
1: Right. So, I mean, and I should state from the start. You know, uh, for for years, if not decades, you know, nobody really paid attention to the rules. I mean, you'd have to, you'd be hard pressed even a few years ago to find even the closest government lobbyist or uh, government watchdog group to get to tell you what the House rules are. They're these arcane procedures that govern how, when, and where a bill can be debated on and voted on. And the reason they're important uh, is because even though um, you know the, the the process of how a bill makes it to a law is very straightforward. You know we learn about it in our civics class. The, there those rules can sometimes be used to procedurally bottleneck those bills from moving to one from one step to another. So. Uh, reformers, uh, good government groups and others have said by opening those rules up a little bit more to help bills pass through easier to not let procedural roadblocks get in the way, we can have a more democratic body. And so uh, what we have in front of us are rules that were su- uh, supported and negotiated uh, in a small work group with both parties when they ultimately were debuted. Uh, Republicans had their own. Um, objections to them, wanted them to be uh, changed and tweaked slightly and didn't like the fact that they couldn't be amended on the floor. But that aside, the uh, package that is now uh, the operating procedure of the rules, top line being Popular bills can now uh, have a greater chance of making it to an actual vote. If they're stopped up in committee, as long as 25 members uh, of either party, and that's the difficult threshold there, of either party support moving a bill, uh, it can get an automatic vote in committee on the floor. If a majority of House lawmakers want to get a bill onto uh, the consideration calendar, they can vote to do so, and the House then must immediately take it up as soon as it can. So those are two options that the House has not had or at least has not utilized as much in the past that a lot of good government groups tell me uh, is going to be an option that they're going to be able to use to get some things over the finish line.
0: A lot of that may sound like inside baseball to people, but the bottom line is that uh, if something was... I don't know, one party didn't like a bill and they had a majority in the committee, it would never see the light of day. And there may be some popular bills that have bipartisan support that would go to help Pennsylvanians or that Pennsylvanians support that now, under these rules may actually get a vote in the house
1: right and 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 i mean let's think about it too the the house both parties in the house are controlled by leadership the leaders get to set on either side what their agenda is going to be uh they whip votes for bills uh, and they also unilaterally in the past have had the power to uh push bills forward for a vote or keep them held back for whatever their reason it could be personal it could be in the best interest of the caucus and things like that the way that the rules have changed now is that uh individual members can bypass the leaders or at least bypass them in some way if, if there's enough groundswell support for a bill and some folks at, at places like March on Harrisburg have said you know the the, the leader gatekeeping and the bottlenecking of bills uh, is, is what's prevented some important things from getting across the finish line and there's a lot of things to do this coming session uh, passing higher funding for firefighters and EMT agencies uh, you'd think that that would have bipartisan support but there could be some things that hold it up in negotiations so having Uh, an easier way for those bills to get up for a final vote. It's going to save time, it's going to save energy, and potentially get some more things done that need to get done over the finish line.
0: Another rule change this week, sexual, racial, and gender-based discrimination and harassment is now more explicitly banned. Why this is timely is that there was a state legislator, Representative Zabel, a Democrat from Delaware County. Who was accused of sexual harassment by a lobbyist and just today it's reported that another woman has come out and said that uh, Representative uh, Zabel allegedly sexually harassed her as well. Tell us a little bit about this case.
1: Yeah. So... uh... Uh, back during when the House was, uh, when you know, then Speaker Razi was taking a group of lawmakers around the state to uh, figure out what rules should be, uh, an SEIU lobbyist uh, named Andy Perez came up and, and had testified that a House, a then unnamed House lawmaker, had harassed her while she was discussing a bill uh, with that person in the Capitol. And now, uh, just as rules were being voted on, that lawmaker was revealed to be Representative Mike Zabel. And predictably, Republicans are calling on Representative Zabel to resign, pointing out that Democrats in the past have called on such a move uh, when others have been credibly accused of sexual harassment. And uh, Democrats, in turn, uh, have been pretty well clammed up on that particular request uh, to call on representatives able to resign, instead turning their attention to this internal investigative body, the House Ethics Committee, that is uh, open to investigating this. So what would have to happen is uh, Andy Perez would have to report her accusation to the House Ethics Committee. The House Ethics Committee would then have to investigate it and would eventually issue a report and recommendation about what to do. Now that can take some time, but I do find it interesting that uh, that Democrats have so far not given a strong condemnation of the behavior at very minimum.
0: And the cynical side of people would say, that's because they have a one-vote majority in the House.
1: Right. So what happens if uh, if Representative Zabel um, is forced to resign? Then you've got a 101 to 101 House, and then... A potentially a special election to uh, to fill his seat again, which again would cause another couple of months of of back and forth negotiations and problems so yes so there there is unfortunately a political consideration there, but a very interesting that there's not a condemnation at least of the behavior
0: Sam about forty five seconds uh, Governor Josh Shapiro uh, has his budget address on um, Tuesday. What do we
1: expect? Definitely expect um, some, uh, you know, large items on education spending. Uh, firefighters and EMTs probably going to come up. Um, Shapiro has also talked a lot about opening the state up more for business, so we could see some more things on the corporate net income tax. Uh, education and business is really what Shapiro has been focused on, so I expect to see a lot of that.
0: Mm. Sam Dunklaw is WITF's Capital Bureau Chief. Sam, as always, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Scott. You're listening to The Spark on WITF, You're home for NPR and discovering all things local, I'm Scott Lamar.